Love the British monarchy? You've come to the right place. Welcome to the To Die For Daily podcast with Kinsey Schofield. Take it away, Kinsey. Oh, Christopher Anderson, so good to see you. I, I see. I feel like I see you more than I see my own family, but that's great because <laughs> well, I have I have such a good time talking to you. It's fun. It's You're fun. a lot less controversial too, although I don't know. I have a question <laughs> down below that might challenge that. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, you have the first, you know, full biography on King Charles. It's the first one to be released. And right. I know that you hinted at it during our last conversation. I asked you what you were working on. Did. And look at you. You kept a secret and I'm very impressed. I kept this secret for five years. And I should tell you because I, the circumstances, of if, 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 if you care about, I'll tell you that when yeah. the queen, wait, okay, here's what happened. I wrote the book, finished it a couple of years ago, and then have been updating it ever since. Uh, in the meantime, Brothers and Wives, I, I wrote, <laughs> and that came out. But I always, for the last maybe year and a half, I was waking up, you know, in a state of anxiety, high anxiety, thinking that my wife would come in and say the queen died, let's say, you know, and then I'd have to jump into action and publish The King. Well, we, she, uh, the queen met Liz Truss, as we know, Prime Minister for two minutes, but we looked great. And so I said, well, let's, let's go on this uh, trip through the Baltic on a, a ship that I've always wanted to take to Scandinavia because she looks fine. Well, got on the ship and the day we got on the ship, the queen passed away. Uh -huh. So I, I spent this wonderful vacation on board a ship doing interviews with CNN and all these other news outlets. <laughs> so you've been covering the royal family for almost 50 years. How times have evolved and how times have changed that you were able to, and this is just a testament to the life that Queen Elizabeth lived. She starts in a world where the newspapers are your only source for information. And now we've got Twitter and Facebook and all these other things. But the right. fact that you could sit on a cruise ship and do that is incredible. It was amazing. And it was... Uh... A challenge at times, technically, but you know. But I'll tell you, it's so funny when you talk about the contrast of now and then. Uh, let's just look at the family. I mean, I covered the Silver Jubilee in 1977 when she was on, the, it was marking her 25th anniversary on the throne. For some reason, I managed to get into the royal enclosure uh, in Westminster Abbey. So the family is walking toward us, and it's, it's the whole lineup. It's the queen, the queen mother, the Philip, uh, Anne, Andrew, Edward. Very exciting, but very waxworks, you know. They weren't, I mean, it was exciting to see the royal family, but, you know, nothing really much happened. There was kind of a stodgy, stuffy bunch because Diana hadn't entered the picture yet. Mm. And, you know, and man, she, we would not be, I don't think, so fascinated with the royal family if she hadn't, you know, gone in there and really shaken things up and brought the monarchy to the brink of extinction. And then, and then Charles saving it, weirdly, you know, because he also participated in in the near destruction of the monarchy by insisting that he Camilla be the woman in his life kind of driving Diana over the edge you know I'm team Diana always I, I know that's why <laughs> that's why we get along so well that's right but uh, and and that brings me to Camilla I mean so now the family is fascinating you have William and Harry you have Megan you have all the uh, and, and Kate of course a big fan of Kate uh, Middleton I still call it Kate Middleton um, and it's just uh, it's just an exciting group you know, and I, I love writing about them. Still do more it now is, than ever. It's it, it is interesting that um, I I agree. I don't know if I would care as much about the royal family had I not been so invested in Diana's life and her journey, and Absolutely. the. 
And you are actually, I have this question somewhere down here, but you were actually the first author that introduced me to this side of Charles, this sympathetic. Well, actually, it's in relation to Harry's book. Let me just find the question. You um, you recently told Entertainment Tonight, I understand Spare has so much to do with his upbringing, the marriage of Charles and Diana. It's all viewed through Harry's lens now. But you are the author that introduced me to the sympathetic side of Charles. After Diana's death, he went to great lengths to honor her. Um, yes. And and. The way that he did, he he brought Harry, he started bringing Harry along. They met the Spice Girls. What am right. I missing? What, what, where is Harry's trauma? Because in your books, and I know that he, I know, I know he's had a hard life, but in your books, you talk about her wrapping her arms around him. Diana was very loving towards them. But then when they lost their mother, it does seem like Charles picked it up and wanted to make sure that they were loved too. Right. Right, exactly. And and think about it, because his own life, where did it come from? I mean, his own childhood was heartbreaking. I mean, he was this little boy who saw his parents for 15 minutes twice a day. You know, that wonderful picture, a horrible picture, really, of him as a little boy and the queen coming back after her first Commonwealth tour, sick away for six months, and he wants to see mommy and mummy. And he and mummy basically shoves him aside. And then later on, she sits, she shakes his hands with him like he was a 45-year-old man. I mean, you know, he was ignored by his parents. He was abandoned by his parents emotionally. But as you said, when Diana passed away, and, and, and but I don't think people realize the actual emotional trauma to Charles by Diana's, uh, it was triggered by Diana's death because I was the only person who have interviewed those uh, nurses who were there handling her body and the, and the, and the priest who gave her last rites and all that. And, um, but the nurses told me, one of them, Beatrice uh, Umber, who was the chief nurse then, you know, that she stood there and watched Charles when, when the door opened and he saw Diana lying there in her coffin in the hospital room, that it looked like he'd been struck by an unseen force was the way she put it. Uh, he reeled back. Uh, he, everyone thought he was going to pass out. And, you know, and then he was openly weeping, but at the same time, like you said, made sure, you know, he was up against the queen. The queen did not understand Diana. She didn't understand why people would get the depth of feeling that people had. So she did not fly the flag at half staff. She wasn't going to give Diana the proper burial, the funeral that she deserved. And it was all Charles who did it. And uh, he stepped up in a really big way. And of course, the one regret I think he has, you mentioned how he was very comforting to, to uh, Harry in particular, but he, he did convince the boys to walk behind the coffin. Mm -hmm. and, and when I watched the funeral and the face, I was paid very close attention to those, the face, William and Harry's faces, you know, you could just see the etch this kind of, it was definitely a, a flashback for both of them, you know, one of those triggering PTSD moments yeah. because you'd be thinking of what it had been like with their mom. So I think, I think Charles now feels a little guilt about having, you know, convinced them to do that. I think that it was the 20th anniversary that they, the boys worked on something with BBC and Charles was upset that they didn't mention him in, in this 20th anniversary of Diana's death. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, obviously there is some resentments there. Um, but I, I wondered, cause you go into detail in this book about Charles's temper. You talk mm -hmm. about him needing fresh air, smashing, not only one window, but two, cause he's desperately needs fresh air. Right. Um, destroying us. Say that again. <laughs> Through a chair through the window. Yes. Through a chair through the window. <laughs> Someone um, else's 
though, by the way. Oh, someone <laughs> so, else. It's crazy. And then uh, destroyed a sink because he lost a cufflink down the drain. Um, and then an, actually one of the most shocking things I read in the book were there were such fiery exchanges between Diana and Charles that their employees were concerned for their safety. Like they were afraid that it could escalate. Were were their boys privy to that? Did they ever, is that what, is that what we're going to hear about? Did the boys see these? Fascinating. You say that because at at one point, uh, as you know, Charles threw a boot boot jack, which is a heavy wooden and, and iron contraption to put your boots on country in England. And he just hurled it at Diana, but it hit her head. You know, you would have, she could have been killed. Uh, yet they were afraid that somebody was going to take someone's life. There were hunting guns in the house, of course. They're British after all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all sorts of uh, armaments. And the, uh, the bodyguards were very concerned about it. So concerned that they tried to remove all the weapons from the house. They were afraid that someone might commit suicide or someone might commit murder. You know, it was a very tense moment. Harry spent a lot of time cowering in a corner. William stepped up for Diana. There was this scene, a couple of scenes, but one that's rather well known, I think, where she, you know, he, he screams, you know, you make mummy cry. Why do you do this? I hate you. I hate you. I think the idea now is that it's Harry's problem as an adult for Charles. Harry is the one that seems to have some emotional baggage relating to his father. And William is the person who's backing a, a papa up all that said i think the big i'm just going to be watching camilla's face very carefully when she's crowned i really honestly think that it's going to co- cause huge problems she's not popular i think both william and harry resent the fact that that uh, uh charles you know reneged on his promise to only make her princess consort and never queen out of uh, you know a deference Bye. to that and you and I, I'm going to say it a million times. You and I had this conversation like um, weeks before Queen Elizabeth made that announcement. You and I were going back and forth about how she was only going to be princess consort. And you told me uh, and that's not going to be true. She's going to be queen consort. And that was weeks before the queen statement. Right, exactly. And I have to tell you that statement and I write about it in the book. That was something that was really, uh, you know, uh, uh, maneuvered out, you know, pulled this, this out. is the biggest like, takeaway from the book, right? This is the craziest part of the book is, is that there was an, I would say, um, not an official quid pro quo, but it was, right. I'm scratching your back. So you're going to scratch mine. I'm sucking it up, but you're right. going to do me a favor. Can you explain that? Absolutely. Well, put a little context here. The queen, as you said, uh, has had a long hated the, uh, Camilla. Uh, you know, and, and, uh, not as much as the Queen Mother, who thought she was hideous and a, a wicked woman. But uh, it took eight years after Diana's death for Charles to convince the Queen to allow him to marry Camilla. You remember the ceremony? They had to really <laughs> prostrate themselves. They had to get down on their knees in front of the Archbishop of Canterbury and, and ask for forgiveness for their uh, want. Uh, what was the phrase? Wanton sins are our wanton sins and wickedness. You know, I mean. <laughs> A little humiliating. Oh, and he also had the promise that she'd only be princess consort and never queen. Yes, he said that. Yes. And then seven for 17 years, he lobbied to get the queen to back, to back Camilla as future queen and uh, queen consort. And uh, it wasn't until earlier this year when Prince Andrew, the queen's favorite son, needed $14 million to pay off his uh, settlement of the sexual abuse, the Jeffrey Epstein case, the queen had been footing the bill. Charles is very, very angry about this. He was going to speak up, everyone expected, in opposition to her using money to pay that settlement. And all of a sudden, gee, wouldn't this be someone mentioned in, in Charles's camp? Well, 
you know, I won't say who, but that, yeah. that this would be the perfect time, February 6th, the 70th anniversary of, her, of, uh, of arriving on the throne to announce your support for the queen. Charles won't say anything. So it was this kind of quid pro quo, unspoken behind the scenes, but an understanding, as you said, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. I think it was a very reluctant statement on the part of the queen. And, you know, as recently as uh, late last year, only 14% of the people in Great Britain would accept her as queen. When the announcement was made, her popularity jumped up to about 50%, but it's gone, started to sink back down. And I think it's one thing to be told she's going to be queen. And, and by the way, Charles is now working to get rid of the term consort. Mm -hmm. I, I think I, we also predicted that. <laughs> But she's just going to be queen and she will be queen Camilla. There's no other way to do it. And um, that's what he insists. He thinks that, you know, he has always been passionately in love with Camilla. Um, but when people actually see her sitting next to him in the court during the coronation in on the throne, it's only an inch shorter than the, than the monarch's throne and uh, having then perhaps the queen mother's spectacular crown placed on her head. And that's a whole other controversy. Going exactly. On. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's. It, I think it's going to rub people. I think there's going to be a huge backlash if it well, gets to that. Here's my question for you, and this is associated with that. Um, now, Britain is predicting that they're going into the longest recession since the 1920s. I mean, to me, I look at that and I think that is something that could really negatively affect the King Charles reign. You know, that that visual of I, you know, I'm choosing heat or eat this week. I can't decide yeah. whether I'm going to heat my house or I'm going to feed my children right. while you're watching something like a glamorous coronation. Do you right. think that this is something that the, the monarchy should be concerned about? Uh, they should be concerned. But then again, during the depression, you know, people did rush to theaters to see scenes of, of glamour and whatnot. Uh, you know, I think the uh, coronation of King uh, George the sixth was at, at a very bad uh, time in terms of the finances in, in Great Britain, um, the economy. Um, so we'll just see the degree, I suppose. I don't think he wants to cut back on the spectacle, though. I think he understands that part of the magic of the monarchy is this over-the-top pageantry, history, spectacle that everyone wants to see, perhaps to distract them. That's However, true, yeah. yeah, but the queen, now, the crown thing is fascinating, which is Queen Mother's crown, as you know, it's, uh, it contains the Kohinoor diamond. The Kohinoor diamond is 105 carats, I think. It's worth a half a billion dollars. Mm. And that is the centerpiece of the Queen Mother's crown. Uh, India claims that. If they do, India, the largest uh, country in the Commonwealth, says it's really theirs. It was stolen by Queen Victoria, basically. Uh, Pakistan claims it for other historical reasons. It's a very politically controversial gem. And uh, uh, oddly enough, it is held in the crown so that it can be removed for oh. ceremony. So, but, but the rest of them are spectacular rubies and emeralds in this amazing crown that's second only really to the uh, uh, imperial crown of state, which is the one that uh, Charles will be wearing. Um, if, if, she, if she gets her way, if Camilla gets her way and wears that crown, well, then you'll have the added layer of it's over the top, it's too much, and it's going to upset, you know, half the world's population. World. right. <laughs> I should have said this earlier. Maybe I'll move it up. Maybe I'll do a little editing. But I read recently, and I should have asked this when we were talking about how kind Charles was after the death of Diana. I read mm. recently that he put his wedding ring back on after Diana died and wore it until he married Camilla. Do you know if that's true or not? I think it's been on and off. I think it's mostly off, to be okay. honest with you. 
So I, I mean, he certainly always wore his uh, pinky ring, the signet of the, the Prince of Wales ring. That's one that was always there. I want to talk about this teddy bear. Uh, tell me the story about the teddy bear, but I also want you to uh, explain to me what is what is it with the Windsors and teddy bears? Because we also heard that Prince Andrew has a huge collection of stuffed animals, but we also know that Diana did too. I know it's it's a it's a very British thing, it's a very upper class thing, but I don't think he's taken it to the extent that Charles has. I mean, <laughs> you know, he has had the same teddy bear since he was a toddler. Mabel Anderson, his nanny, childhood nanny, the only one was allowed to, and by the way, she's still alive. I saw young, that, yeah. I, Oh, the only one a person ever allowed to mend this thing, which was falling apart, uh, and he would, and he would, you know, uh, one of his when he was in his forties, his uh, valet or valet, depending on how you pronounce it, was the person who said that he, um, uh, when when she mended it, it was like he was watching his own child have surgery, you know, which I thought was, I mean, there's a odd emotional attachment, and then the thing about uh, the ice cubes, okay, he wants round ice cubes. He travels with trays, make round ice cubes because he thinks the square ones are too noisy. But the queen did the same thing. The queen mother did the same thing and other members of the royal family. So it is a, it's a Windsor quirk. The toilet uh, well, seat. what about the toilet seat? Does everybody, does everyone have a custom toilet seat? I need, I, cause that's expensive in Harry's 16 bathroom mansion in Montecito. If so. That's right. Well, it's funny because, you know, he is denied. He get, this upsets him. He recently denied that this was this was a true story. But it, since then, uh, members of his staff and again, former valets have said, oh, no, that is exactly true and accurate. So I don't. He also has when he goes to dinner parties, I point out, you better expect him to bring his own chef to make his own separate meal for him, uh, which he's always done. So I think it's another fascinating thing. I don't, most of us wouldn't get away with, but he is now the king. So. Oh, yeah. Um, I definitely would not get away with that. But my chef would be Jenny Craig. So, I mean, <laughs> um, I, so uh, this is this is uh, this is kind of related. I was going to save this to the end, but this is related to something that you just said. It's interesting to me that the palace is so tight lipped and they try not to respond to rumors. But for some reason, they always respond to you. They always respond when it comes to your books. Right. Why will they ignore some of their biggest scandals on their doorstep, but are quick to shut you down over something as silly as how many eggs he eats and are tossed? Right. What's well, odd, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, uh, what can one say? It's, it's, you, I think they're in a position where they can't respond to all, almost any of this. But why you? I mean, Valentine Lowe comes out and says, Megan is a bully. They're tight-lipped. Right. Harry and Megan say, you're racists. And they right. say, recollections may vary. But you say, Prince Charles tosses five eggs. And it like the, the, the wall, you know, the, the hammer comes down. And it's right. like, it feels like it's so silly what they respond. You're, you're, it's just, it's what you said. <laughs> For some reason, these stories really bother him. Right. The major ones, I don't know, they're, they're, they're letting them slide. You know, they're really the huge bombshells because they really can't say anything about those things, I suppose. I don't know. I always feel uh, vindicated when they uh, issue these statements because, I, you know, you've struck a nerve. They only bother when, when it's something that is true. You know, that's why with an unauthorized biography, you're going to get much closer to the truth. Although I will say in the future next year, I'll be interesting. To, it will be interesting to see what Harry's perspective is on all of this from his Absolutely. But, uh, yeah. I'd like to talk to you about Barbara Streisand. Um, oh. 
Can you tell me, did anything ever happen between Barbara Streisand and King Charles? Because I've read in your book, kind of your, your book alludes, but, right. um, and I don't know if you just couldn't say it in a published book, but I have read that there was flirtation, there was sincere interest. And in a, a specific party that you discuss in your book, he right. invites Barbara Streisand over and leaves not only the trophy wife at home, but the mistress. So there's no Camilla, no Diana, but here's Barbara Streisand. Well, right. I mean, and, and I have to say like butter, don't I? But, uh, you know, she, <laughs> well, President, she's basically, you know, admitted that there was a thing between them in, in recent years. Uh, they, they got together at the Bel Air Hotel secretly. I mean, to have tea was the official explanation when, it, when they were found out. I mean, maybe it was like a slip and they meant D. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And then, then uh, Elton John shows up at Highgrove, and oh wait, there she is, you know, curled up on the couch. Barbara Streisand. He was very surprised and shocked. I mean, there there was something going on. It's not the first time that Charles had cheated on Camilla and Diana. I mean, I interviewed a woman named Janet Jenkins, who's a Canadian. Uh, uh, she works in the in Montreal in the Canadian uh, Foreign um, Consulate's office, and he became infatuated with her. And they had a very long affair that lasted for years. And Camilla knew all about it, and kind of brought her along because Camilla has that mentality, a 19th century view of the whole thing. She wanted to be the king's mistress. You know, Alice mm -hmm. Keppel, great grandmother, was the mistress to Edward VII. Uh, when Edward VII died, uh, the queen, Queen Alexandra, much beloved queen at the time, uh, called Alice Keppel to the king's bedside because she knew that was the, his mistress was the true love of his life. And I think that was what she wanted to repeat. That's why you see Camilla appear very shaky you know, it, it, I think whenever it, if she's, it's mentioned that she's going to be queen, I don't, I don't think it's a role that she's going to be comfortable in. And again, she'll be trembling like a leaf during the coronation. I mean, it's going to be a very revealing moment, I think, a very tense moment. What a visual. But, you know, I did think that Camilla was a little jealous because, you know, you talk about her kind of lashing out at Diana when Diana, um, mm -hmm. you know, accosts her at that party. Maybe that's an aggressive word. But when I when Diana has her face off with Camilla, Camilla is kind of snappy and then takes off. But also, right. didn't Prince Charles have to fire Tiggy Leg Burke because Camilla didn't like her? That's right. I mean, it, it depended on the person and whether or not she I think perhaps uh uh, uh, and of course, uh, Diana was also very jealous. Oh, yes. Of and it got to be quite a messy situation. She made that comment, uh, which is very complicated. But anyway, obviously, oh, I know it involves a it involves a hanger in a back room. That's right. Right. Exactly. So we don't want to get into that. But it was, um, you know, I, there's just certain people ticked Camilla off and, and I, I, Tiggy Lake Burke was one of them, I think. And of course, there was that, there were some of those letters that Diana wrote, which she kind of she uh, stated pretty flatly that she believed that Tiggy Lake Burke, that, uh, that both Camilla and Diana would be done away with so Charles could marry Tiggy Lake Burke, which was, you know. So it kind little. of makes you feel like maybe there was some flirtation or some there was an energy there that those two women both sensed that that may. I don't know. I mean, I'm not I know I think that Tiggy Lake Burke was a good mentor for the boys. And I know that they were grateful to have her after they lost Diana, but for both women to be intimidated by her says, I mean, to me, that just says something. Well, it wouldn't be the first time a woman was, you know, jealous of the nanny. Yeah, that's true. I mean, like, I let's talk to Gwen on. Stefani about it. She's got some <laughs> things to say about the nanny. Um, like I have here, uh, you, you talk about what a great grandfather Charles is to William's children. He doesn't really have access to Harry's, but it, right. 
Is this inspired by the great relationship Charles had with the Queen Mother? Because she just loved, loved, loved that boy. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Queen Mother, well, and, and, and I think Charles is trying, there is a, a certain paternal thing that Charles has always had. I mean, I write about how he used to play the roll around on the floor with the boys when he was around with both William and Harry when he was around them. And he really uh, is a very, can be very affectionate. And by the way, it's not just, I mean, it's not just the children uh, and grandchildren, but he was very uh, fond of and warm uh, toward uh, Megan. I mean, you know, yes. he thought, yeah, I mean, he was, they got along great. I mean, Mary the Queen and Megan, those wonderful trips they took, uh, uh, that trip they took together on the Royal Train through Northwest England. Don't forget that that was a fast pass for Megan. Kate didn't get those opportunities as quickly as Megan did. Absolutely. And, and, uh, he walked her, I mean, Charles walks her halfway down the aisle because her father doesn't show up. He embraces uh, Doria Ragland, her, uh, you know, Megan's mom. Uh, so this is a huge, I and mean, we've got to see really a kind of a warm paternal side to him there as the, you know, the father of the, of the groom, the father-in-law. Um, he likes, he likes uh, Kate very much. They get along tremendously well, as far as I know. Um, Camilla in the very beginning and I write about this as well, you know, was not sold on Kate. Kate really had to work hard to prove that she was up to the job. And I think she's done a spectacular job. Um, but now this, but this is kind of a betrayal on the part of, of uh, Megan and Harry. Obviously that's the way that uh, Charles sees it. Uh, he's the person who's trying to make all the overtures are subtle uh, to get Harry back into the fold. But then again, the funeral- They're not enough. They're subtle, but they're not enough. Right. And the funeral was, a, I mean, I, it was a, a head there. I couldn't figure out in the very beginning, you may recall, Harry was not allowed to wear his uniform. And, you know, and, and just in the early days, you know, the first um, the morning period. And uh, Andrew was and Edward was. Um, Edward's never been in the military. And we know what Andrew's situation is, uh, stripped of everything. Um, so, you know, obviously there was such an outcry as a result of that, uh, that Charles uh, flipped and allowed him wears you allowed Harry wears uniform at the vigil of the grandchildren that's where they're. but again that didn't look it didn't it never looked to me as if the Sussexes were comfortable uh, during the funeral and they could hardly wait to get out if there ever was a chance for them to mend things I suppose that was it but then again this book is hanging over everyone's head and sword. Netflix oh yes and Netflix well and at the time if you think about it Every week, Megan was saying something that hinted towards unhappiness over the last few years in her situation in the monarchy on the podcast. So every week, the they're the, you know the royal family is getting hit with these vague references to Megan feeling silenced or ambition is dirty, and and then right. and then the Queen invited them to stay the night, you know, a week or so before she passed, and they they rejected the idea. So I'm sure that the family. I think I feel like the family was just kind of fed up at the time, but I'm right. with you. I watched their faces too, and I thought this—they're unhappy. This is not good. And of course, I don't think William. I think William is still holding a huge grudge. When the four of them got out of their car to greet people, there was no, there was no connect. They were all going in different directions. Uh, these two couples. Um, I, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I just, uh, I, I don't think it's going to end well. That's all I can say. Because part of the, as you know, Charles's intention is to. Uh, slim down the monarchy. He made a proposal years ago, which I write about in the book, to uh, kick some royals off the payroll and to demote some. Uh, 
Beatrice uh, and Eugenie, for example, Andrew's daughters, it, he broached the idea of, of uh, getting rid of their titles as princesses and, and making them Lady Beatrice and Lady Eugenie. Well, of course, um, Andrew came back uh, with guns blazing on that one. Real mad. Really mad. That So that never happened. But now it could happen, especially since in the meantime, we've had the Epstein affair and uh, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of... Uh, come down on, on uh, Andrew, and of course, rightfully so. I mean, he's been basically shoved out of the family, ushered into the shadows. You talked, and you know, in Brothers and Wives, it's a, such a good book where you really go over the entire relationship of the brothers and how we never saw this coming. We never saw a divide. We never thought a woman could get in between these men. Right. Um, what are you? What are you sensing now? Are you sensing that William is just focused on the future of the monarchy and not worried about Harry. I mean, worried about him, but it's not a priority to, to, to heal that rift or have they written each other off? What are you, what do you feel? I don't think they've written each other off entirely. I mean, they're still, you know, relatively young men and there is time to bridge that, that widening gap, I suppose, but it's not looking good. And, and it's, it, you're right. I never could have imagined that this would happen with all the they've shared over the years. In fact, they do have a unifying memory of their mom, who is really key to the appeal, I think, of the royal family. Mm. Uh, so, no, I, I, I think, uh, you know, William would love it if uh, bygones could be bygones. But I, he also was capable of just looking at the, the job at hand, you know, trying to support his father and knowing that he is going to be king one day. And by the way, Charles, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that Charles is going to be some sort of, uh, bench warmer that he's going to you know be a caretaker king uh, no 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 he's waited too long to make an impression he wants to make his mark on history so we're going to see him doing a lot of things and i think all those weekly meetings with the prime ministers is not going to be one of the he's not going to take a pass he's going to have a lot of opinions and he will be sharing them in private in secret uh with all political leaders i think that he comes in contact with do you think he was shaken up by liz truss you know her resignation Sure. I, I think the last thing he needs is instability. And as you mentioned, the economy is a huge problem, but also political instability. Um, and, but he's handled it well. He's navigated those waters. Uh, but when he's facing this, this spectacle that's going to occur on May 6th and all the, as you say, the, the perception of, of uh, grandiosity and wealth and privilege uh, up against this backdrop, it depends on how grim the economy gets. So it'll, it'll, and again, he's going to be walking another tightrope. And for this guy, uh, to be, uh, uh, you know, so enigmatic and conflicted and kind of a work in progress, I call him, where his mother always knew who she was. We knew who she was. Mm. He, this, he can go in any number of directions. And he has that huge temper that we discussed. I mean, he's, you know, we'll wait and see. I mean, that whole signing ceremony when he got angry at, at the uh, staffer who didn't clear his desk off fast enough, we're going to see a lot of that because obviously if you control your emotions in a situation where the eyes of the entire world are on you, you know, and sympathetic to you because of your mother's recent death. I mean, it just, it's, he can be petulant. And uh, so outbursts like that, I think we're going to see more of. Well, Christopher Anderson, um, the King is actually available for pre-order right now. I have so many of my friends have commented on my posts saying that they've already ordered it and they cannot wait to dig into it.
And um, it's a great book. It's it's such a fun read. And like I said, if you are a fan of The Crown, grab this book, get it before the, you have one day to get it before The Crown comes out. So you can peel all into it and then watch (laughs) The Crown. And it's like the perfect pairing. Um, But thank you so much for talking to me today. You know, you're one of my favorite friends. One of my favorite people too, Kinsey. I always enjoy it. Thank you for listening to the To Die For Daily Podcast with Kinsey Schofield. Please subscribe to hear more from your favorite royal commentators. Cheers.